The Carter Report presents worship from the Community Adventist Fellowship in Glendale, California. A special welcome to all of our viewers in North America and our new friends and churches in Russia. Today, you'll enjoy outstanding music and the preaching of the everlasting gospel by pastor, teacher, and evangelist John Carter. Please get your Bible and study the Word of God with us today. Thank you for joining us for Worship and Praise. waking up, <clears throat> Grandma fixing some hot oatmeal and singing songs about heaven, Dr. Kunkel. I was kind of in a rebellious state at that time and I didn't want to be in ministry. I wanted to make a lot of money and have all the things that the businessmen had. Big houses and big cars and all that great stuff that I thought was so important. I found out all that stuff isn't so important. Being in the center of God's will is the most important thing. As my grandmother prayed for me and just she sang the songs of heaven. She used to sing, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from that precious shore and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Well, we're just pilgrims and sojourners and we're making a difference. We are salt and light in a dark place. Grandma used to sing this one too. Home sweet home where I'll never roam. I see the lights of that city so bright, my home, sweet home. Walking along life's road one day, I Up in heaven I am building and it's a beautiful, beautiful home. Think about it. Home, sweet Distance 
that shining shore, and it's my beautiful, beautiful home, home sweet home, Sing the chorus with me together. Home, sweet home. Home, sweet home. Where I'll never I see the light. good news, dear folks, is that there is a home sweet home. One day we're going home. This world is not the, the total substance of our existence. One day we're going home to an eternal home in the heavens. I want to give today a very special welcome to every person who is watching, the people who are watching on, on cable and other stations throughout the, the greater Los Angeles area. Particularly, my friends who are watching from over at Loma Linda and uh, Riverside, and a very, very extraordinary special welcome to the people who are watching by satellite uh, because of courtesy of Three Angels Broadcasting Network. I want to give today a very special greeting to my dear friends Danny and Linda Shelton, and today we're going to talk about what happens when a person dies, what is the soul, what is the spirit. Is it possible for the living to contact the dead? And is it possible for the dead to come back and talk to the living? I want you to take your Bible today, dear friends, and turn with me to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah. We're going to turn to, to chapter 8, and we're going to come to verse 19 and 20. And today I want you to notice every passage in the Word of God as we talk about the state of the dead, what happens when a person dies, what is the soul, and what is the spirit, and where are our beloved dead? Are the dead in heaven? Are they in hell? Are they in purgatory? Where are the dead? Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19 and 20. And the prophet says, 
And when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards or spiritists, who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? Should they go to a seance? Should they go and see somebody in the New Age movement? And the Bible says, to the law, say it with me, verse 20, to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. The Bible tells us that God, my friend, has a holy standard. What is the standard of truth? Answer me. The standard, the holy standard of truth is the holy word of God. And, when, and the Bible says when they say to you, go to a, a seance, go and talk to somebody in the New Age movement, go to uh, a person who is involved in the occult and uh, discover the truth about the living by talking to the dead. The Bible says, don't do this because that isn't a cursed practice. The Bible says, to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. I want to say to every person today that this subject may... Uh, change uh, your eternal destiny even as you sit in this meeting. Because if there is a subject that people need to understand, it is the truth about the soul, it is the truth about the spirit, it is the truth about the state of the dead. Because in this great land of the brave and the land of the free, there are not thousands, there are millions of people today who are consulting spiritists and who are tied up in the New Age movement because they believe that they can get in contact with the dead. They believe that they can actually talk to their dead loved ones. If that is true, my friend, then the Bible is false, as we're going to see today. The Bible says to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Now the first question we are going to ask and answer is this, does man have an immortal soul? It is believed by almost every religious group. It is believed by almost every theologian that man has an immortal soul. And the question is, is the teaching of the immortality of the soul found in the Bible? I want to say this to you today. This is not an ordinary meeting, nor will be the meeting on Tuesday night when I speak on the, the, the twisted world of the occult, because when you start to deal with this subject, you are dealing with the power of evil spirits, and those powers will, en will, will endeavor today to, be, to, to confuse you and stop you from listening to the Word of God. Now today we ask the question, is man somehow innately possessed by an immortal soul. I want you to turn in the scriptures now over here to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And please notice every text. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter and verse 14 to 16. And I want you to find the passages and the people watching on 3ABN, on satellite, on the cable outlets and other stations. Please go and get your Bible and turn to these passages. I want your faith today not to be in the, in the teachings of a man, but in the teachings of the Word of God. 1 Timothy uh, chapter, chapter 6 and verse 14 and onwards, the Bible says that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will manifest in his own time, who is, he is the blessed and the only potentate 
the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is talking about the Almighty. And then verse 16 says, and say the words with me, please. Who alone, loud, who alone has immortality. The Bible tells me that God alone has immortality. And we're going to discover the truth today that the Bible also teaches that he who has the Son of God has life, but if you don't have the Son of God, you don't have life. The Bible tells me that there's only one person in the universe who has immortality, and that is God. I want to tell you something today. The term immortal soul is never used in the Bible. Never. Never are the words immortal applied to man in his fallen condition. The Bible tells me that God alone has immortality. Therefore, I would suggest to you today, in spite of what the churches teach, in spite of what the great theologians teach, I would suggest to you today that if God is the only person who has immortality, then you and I do not have an immortal soul. I do not believe in the doctrine of the immortality of the soul. I want you to come back now to Job chapter 4 and verse 17. This could be the oldest book in the Bible. Job chapter 4, halfway through the Bible. Job chapter 4. And verse 17, and notice what the Bible says when it talks about man. Firstly, the Bible says, God alone is immortality. If I had a blackboard today, I'd put it up on the blackboard. Point number one, God alone has immortality. And number two, it talks about man. And Job chapter 4, verse 17, and please read it out loud. It says, can, what does it say, Steve? Can what sort of man? Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? Whenever the term immortality is used in the Bible, it talks about God. But the Bible has a word that describes us. It says, can a mortal man be more pure than God? God has immortality, but the Bible tells us that we are mortal. And when the Bible says we are mortal, it means that we are subject to death. I do not believe, you show it to me if you can, I do not believe there is any suggestion in the Bible that teaches the doctrine of the immortality of the soul. It is a tradition that came from the church of Rome and the church of Rome got it from paganism. I want you to come over now to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 please. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51 to 54 and these are wonderful words. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and it's great to see the Bibles being turned up today. You are a wonderful, wonderful audience. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and notice what the Bible says about immortality. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51 and onwards. Are you ready to go? The Bible says, behold, I tell you a... What's the page number in the Bibles we're using? 998. 998. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 51 it says, Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all what? Now put that away in your mind. The Bible says we're not all going to sleep. It's not talking about going to church. What is it talking about? We're not all going to what? We're not all going to die, the Bible says. In, in the Bible, the, the Word of God uses a very significant expression about death. And you know what it is? It's sleep. 
But the Bible, would you say to me, but this is contrary to what my church taught. Well, that may be so. But the Bible says, we're not all going to sleep, but we shall, what does it say? All be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye when? At the last, come on, at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on what? Incorruption. And this mortal must put on what? This what puts on immortality? This mortal puts on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written. What is the saying? Death is, come on, death is swallowed up in victory and death is swallowed up in victory when Jesus Christ returns. Now the Bible tells me that the coming of Jesus is the hope of the church. I want you to know this. Death is not the hope of the church. It is the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says when Jesus comes back, this is the good news. This what? This, this mortal is going to put on what? Immortality and this corruptible is going to put on incorruption. One day, my friend, I am going to have the gift of immortality. I would not have the gift of immortality. The Bible would not say this if I had the gift of immortality now. You hear what I'm saying? You hear what I'm saying? The Bible says this mortal is going to put on immortality. And the Bible says you don't put it on at death. You put it on when Jesus returns. And when Jesus comes back in glory, he's going to raise the dead. Therefore, I believe in life everlasting. I believe in life after death. Don't you? I believe that one day if I should fall asleep in death, I am going to wake up and I'm going to wake up and I am going to be uh, immortal and I'm going to be incorruptible. I had the privilege of taking my father's funeral. Uh, my father had a stroke and then uh, got pneumonia as often happens and then he died. And when I took my father's funeral, it was not a sad thing in the sense it was a hopeless thing. My father had been an unbeliever. But my father had given his life to Christ and he had been born again. And I said to the people there, this is not a day of doom and gloom because he is going to be raised from the dead. And when we see him next time, he is going to be a young man running down the streets of glory. Isn't that something? So the Bible says this mortal is going to put on immortality. Therefore, we come to another question. What is the soul? What is the soul? Now, most people believe that the soul is something that dwells inside of man and the body is a clay shell. And when a person dies, the soul is released from the clay shell and goes home to glory. 
They say this is taught in the Bible. No, it's not taught in the Bible. It is taught by Socrates. It is taught by the Egyptians. It was taught by the Persians. In fact, every religion in this world, every religion in this world believes in the immortality of the soul. The Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, the, the Church of Rome, every religion believes in the immortality of the soul except the religion of the Bible. It doesn't believe it. Come here to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 and you have probably the best definition of what a soul is. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. Please notice it in the word of God and those watching on 3ABN and on our other stations, please go and get your Bible. And today we're talking about what happens when a person dies. What is the soul? What is the spirit? Is it possible for the living to contact the dead or the dead to contact the living? Please notice it. Genesis chapter 2 and it's verse 7. And the Lord God, it says, for man of what? The dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils. What does it say? Come on, come on breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became what? Listened, yes, a living being or as it says in the Hebrew, man became a nefesh kaya. He became a living soul or as it says here in the New King James Version, he became a living being. I heard a preacher on this text some time ago, a famous preacher and a good man. He said, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils an immortal soul. And he said, you have been an immortal soul ever since God put that immortal soul in you. My friend, that is not what the, what the Bible says. The Bible says that God fashioned man out of the dust of the ground God fashioned Adam with his own fingers and after he had made a perfect man, he breathed into his nostrils the vital life force that only God has. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life or the spirit. And the Bible says that Adam became a living soul. It is more correct to say in scripture that you are a living soul than it is to say that you have a soul. If you want to see what a soul is, look around. Steve here is a soul. AK is a soul. I am a soul. Mickey is a soul. Steve is a soul. And the Bible tells us that we were made in the very image of God. And because of sin, we must die. But the Bible says that one day God is going to give us back the gift of eternity. I want you to come over now, please, to another passage that I, I want you to see. I want you to come over to Ezekiel 18 and verse 4. And when somebody has the passage, please call it out. Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 4. And this will answer the question, can a soul die? 729. 729. Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 4. 729. And these translations that we're using here. The New King James Version. Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 4. The Bible says, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. Say that word out loud. The soul who sins 
shall die. The Bible does not say that the soul is immortal, Helen, but the Bible says that the soul that sins, the Bible says that soul is going to die, and that is the word of God. I do not believe in the doctrine of the immortality of the soul. Then where did it come from? Almost everybody believes it. It is taken for granted by millions, even billions of people. What is the origin of the doctrine of the immortality of the soul? Come with me, please, to Genesis chapter 3 and verses 1 to 5. And you will read here the first sermon that was ever preached on the immortality of the soul. Genesis chapter 3 and verses 1 and onwards. Genesis, the third chapter, and verses 1 and onwards. Are you ready to go? Now the serpent, who was working through the serpent? Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor touch it. Touch it. Why? Lest you what? God said, If you sin, and if you break my holy law, the curse of death is going to come upon you. God said, if you eat of it, you'll die. And verse 5, here is the first sermon preached on the immortality of the soul. And the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God said, You sin, you die. You're going to fall asleep. But God did not leave us in that dilemma. God sent Jesus to redeem us. But the Bible tells me this, that the devil said you will not die because you have an immortal soul and you are really like God. In you there is something that cannot die. And this, of course, has given birth to the doctrine of the eternal torment of the damned, that the soul cannot die. This doctrine was believed by the Egyptians, that's why they built the pyramids. It was believed by all of the pagans. It was believed by the Babylonians. It was believed by the Persians. It was believed by the Greeks, like Socrates, because when he is about to drink the fatal hemlock, he says to his disciples, do not be concerned for me, the body is a shell and my soul is going home to God. Have you ever heard this preached in church? Not in this church, at least when I'm preaching. Socrates says, I do not fear to drink the fatal hemlock because the body is a shell. Inside this shell is an immortal soul. It was passed on from the Greeks to the Romans and the Romans passed it on to the church of Rome and the church of Rome has built all of her doctrines upon the immortality of the soul, the intercession of saints. Purgatory, limbo, 
the eternal torment of the damned, all built upon the, the devil's lie, that you won't die. And when the Protestants came out of Rome, unfortunately, they carried in their bosoms a lock of their mother's hair. It is nowhere taught in the Bible, but people hold on to it mainly because of emotional overtones. It is the basis of the New Age movement. The New Age movement is built upon the doctrine of the immortality of the soul. It is satanic because it comes from the devil's lie. You may say it doesn't matter what a person believes about the soul. Yes, it does. It is Satan's greatest deception. Where are the saints? Come over here to Acts chapter 2, verse 29. Where are the saints? Acts, I mean the dead saints. I will not say sleeping saints because I know where some of those are. Acts chapter 2 and verse 29. Did you enjoy that one, Sandor? That was all right, wasn't it? Also spontaneous. Acts chapter 2 and verse 29. Men and brethren. What's the page? 944. Men and brethren, let me freely speak to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. This is talking about David, the man who wrote the book of Psalms and all of those wonderful uh, writings. And verse 34 says, For David did not ascend into the heavens. I ask you the simple question, is the great saint, the great patriarch David, the man who was a man after God's own heart, is he in heaven? Bible says he's not in heaven. The Bible says he's dead and buried and he's sleeping in the grave and he's sleeping until the resurrection. I want you to come over now to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Come to John chapter 11, verse 38. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 11. And we're going to start at uh, verse 38, I think. John 11. What page? 931. John chapter 11 and verse 38. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was the tomb of Lazarus. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Isn't that something? Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench. He's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I, didn't I say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? What we need, if you want to see the glory of God, my friend, believe. Believe the words of Jesus. Hear what I'm saying? If you want to see the glory of God, put away your unbelief and believe the word of God. Okay, verse 41. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. And verse 43. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. 
And he who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a linen. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Listen to me. Where was Lazarus? I ask you, where was Lazarus? Jesus did not say, bring him down from glory. And Jesus obviously didn't bring him up from hell. Jesus went to the tomb. And he was in the tomb. And Jesus brought him out of the tomb. The day is coming when our Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back to this world and he's going to go to every tomb in this world. And Jesus is going to say, Lazarus, come forth. And those who have died with their faith in Jesus are going to hear the voice of the Son of God and they're going to walk out of their tombs. But till then, the Bible says they're sleeping. Look at John chapter 11 and verse 11 to 14. John 11, 11 to 14, these things he said. And after that he said unto them, Our friend Lazarus, say it, sleeps, that I, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. Howbeit, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. I want to say to every person watching today on satellite, on our cable networks, our loved ones are not in pain. They are not in purgatory. St. Peter is not in heaven. The Blessed Virgin Mary is not in heaven. The saints are not in heaven. God's people are sleeping in the grave and soon our Lord Jesus Christ is going to come and he's going to shake those old tombs apart and the dead are going to walk out of those tombs. Can you say thank God for that? Everybody here has lost a loved one. I want to tell you, we don't have to be afraid of death because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Hear what I'm telling you? Come over here to Ecclesiastes 9, verse 5 and 6. You know how plain it is, how plain it is. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, Psalms, then you come to Proverbs. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. 580, Helen. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 5 and 6. The Bible says, page 580, For the living know that they will die. Say it with me. The dead know nothing. And verse 6, Also their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. I say to every person who is watching, who is tied up with the New Age movement, who is tied up with the doctrine of the immortality of the soul, who is tied up with spiritism or the occult, I want you to know the dead know nothing. And if a being is coming to you who pretends to be your loved one, 
who is dead, that person is not your loved one. That person is a deceiving, evil spirit. And you need to understand this truth and come to God and be healed. Hear what we're saying? Come over now to chapter 12 and verse 17 of this same book. Chapter 12 and verse 17. Can you see why this is so important? Chapter 12 and verse 7 will do. Verse 7. It describes what happens when a person dies. Verse 17 is just a little hard to find. <laughs> Chapter 12, it's like the text for Sunday keeping, it's not there. Chapter 12 and verse 7. In fact, the strongest text for keeping Sunday is found in Revelation chapter 23. Verse 1, great text for Sunday. Revelation 12, uh, Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return to God who gave it. What happens when a person dies? It's very, very plain. This body, which is corruptible, goes back to dust, and the Spirit, which is not conscious in itself, it is the breath of life that God placed in Adam, Steve. The breath of life goes back to God. And when Jesus comes back by the mighty miracle of the resurrection, he is going to take this dust and form it again into a glorious body and put the breath of life into it and clothe this body with immortality. What I'm telling you today is God's answer to every false religious system. If you understand this truth today, you will not be deceived by the New Age movement. You will not be deceived by the monstrous doctrine of purgatory or limbo. You will not be deceived by spiritists and all those other frauds because the Bible says the dead are sleeping until Jesus comes. Now, there's one question I will answer, and one only. What about the dying thief? Did not the dying thief say, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom? Did not Jesus say, Verily I say to you, Today you'll be with me in paradise? Did Jesus say that? Would you please come to Luke 23? Verse 39, and this will be a revelation to some of you. Luke 23, and verse 39. Luke 23, dear beloved people. Luke 23, verse 39, and onwards. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself. And us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, comer, I say to you, comer, today you'll be with me in paradise, period. 
May I remind our watching audience and the congregation here today that the punctuation marks are not in the original, were supplied by the translators, good men who believed in the immortality of the soul. That's the first point. The commas and the full stops are not in the Bible. They were placed there by the translators. I want you to come now to a commentary, John 20, verse 17, and this will answer your question. John 20 and verse 17. Beloved friends, John 20 and verse 17. And this talks about the day when Jesus was raised from the dead. Oh, I want you to come back to verse 13. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It talks about Mary. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said, Because they have taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not know that it was Jesus. You know why she didn't know it was Jesus? Why didn't she notice Jesus? It was early in the morning, the mist was on the ground, and the Bible says she was weeping. Often because we are weeping, we do not see the Lord. Often our emotions stop us from perceiving that it is the Lord. So she didn't notice Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. That's devotion. Jesus said to her, Mary, in the old familiar way, she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Teacher, Master, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and to your God. I ask you, had Jesus gone home to heaven? No, he hadn't. Jesus said to Mary, Mary, I am going home to glory. I have just been resurrected. I have been sleeping. I have paid the price for your sins. Don't detain me. I am on my way to glory. So if he hadn't gone on Sunday, he hadn't gone on Friday. I want you to think of those words again and to think of the punctuation marks. Jesus said, the thief said, Lord, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, Jesus said, Verily, truly, I say to you today, comma, you will be with me in paradise. Period. Does it make any difference? All the difference in the world. The thief did not go that day. They broke their legs, 
left them on the ground over the Sabbath, most likely put them up again on Sunday or Saturday night. The thief did not go to glory that day, but one day the thief will when Jesus comes. You know when the British fought the French and beat them, when they fought the French at, at Waterloo, when Wellington fought Napoleon Bonaparte, and for a while nobody knew who was going to win the battle because the battle went back and forth and nobody knew who was going to win the battle. But in the end, Napoleon was routed and, the, and his troops were driven from the field by the British. They didn't have radio in those days. They would send signs. And so immediately from hill to hill, they flashed the message and it got to the British Channel. And then the message was flashed across the British Channel and the British were watching from their lookouts who has won the battle. Will we have to go to the beaches and defend this little island against the hordes of the Frenchmen? And so the message went. It was an amazing message. The message went, Wellington, they counted it out, W-E-L-L, Wellington, and they strained their eyes through the mist. Wellington defeated, and then the fog came down. And the message went around England, we have suffered a tremendous defeat. Get ready to, to, to fight the French, they'll be invading this little island. Wellington defeated, and then the mist went up, and, and they started to flash the message again. Wellington defeated Napoleon. Does it make any difference? Wellington defeated, period. Wellington defeated Napoleon, period. On Sunday, Jesus was raised, but on the Friday, at three o'clock when Jesus hung his head and said, it is finished, around this world, and around the kingdom of Satan, a message was flashed. And the message said, Jesus defeated. But three days later, when Jesus walked out of the tomb, a message was flashed from star to star. Jesus defeated Lucifer. Mm -hmm. I want you to know, I want you to know, if you believe in a blood atonement as I do, if you're an evangelical Christian, if you believe in a blood atonement, I want you to think it through. If when Jesus died, he simply stayed awake, did he really die? That means death is not even death. Jesus, in my theology from the Bible, died and went down into the tomb. He was dead. And he was unconscious. But on the third day, 
The angels came down from glory. You think of it. All the hosts of the new age. All the hosts of spiritism. All the hosts of darkness are gathered around the tomb on the first day of the week. And there is a seal set on the tomb. And they say, we have him where we want him. We have him where we want him. God the Father sent down a mighty angel. Rolled back the stone. And then the voice was heard, Son of God, your Father called you. And Jesus, working with the Trinity from the power that was, that was within him, his divinity within him, responded to divinity outside of him. And the mighty Son of God walked out of the tomb and said, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus won the battle. The day is going to come when all of God's people who have true faith in Jesus, after they have fallen asleep, are going to hear the voice of the eternal Son of God saying, come forth and live forever. And they're going to come forth and this mortal is going to put on immortality and this corruptible is going to put on incorruption. What does it mean to you? It means this, that the new age is satanic. That spiritism is satanic. All manifesta manifestations of the occult are satanic. All visions of dead people are satanic. All visions that say that the Virgin Mary appeared over there in Fatima are satanic. They are not taught in the Word of God. All ideas that teach that the dead are being tormented now are false. All ideas that say that the saints in heaven are there to intercede for us, that is all false. The Bible teaches that there is salvation. It is not found in the intercession of the saints. It is found in the intercession of the one man who was raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord. And so today, what should you and I do? Think of the text. He who has the Son has life, but he who has not the Son of God shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. If you do not have the Son of God today, you do not have immortality. You only have the wrath of God. But today, if you come to Christ and repent and believe in His name right now, God will give you the gift of everlasting life and God will write your name down in glory. And in the resurrection, He'll bring you forth to live for eternity. Please, kneel with me. Now this doctrine is one of the hardest teachings for people to believe because of its emotional overtones with our loved ones. It's very hard because we struggle against it, but I want you to know today it is not the teachings of a church that count because churches have made more mistakes than most. It is the teaching of the Word of God. Don't take it from my lips, but take it from the lips of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Our Father, we thank you today that one day we're going to wake up and we're going to wake up and breathe air that is no longer earthly air, but air that is celestial. We thank you that one day we're going to wake up and we're not going to have these old bodies that get migraines, that get depressed, that get tired, that get fatigued, that get cancer, that grow gray hairs, and that wither away and die. But one day we are going to wake up with bodies that are never, never going to give out. And they're never going to get sick, they're never going to get tired. We won't need glasses. Uh, we won't need to take painkillers because we're going to be immortal at last. We think today of the text of Scripture that he who has the Son has life, but he who hasn't the Son of God shall not see life. Write into our minds today that we must follow Christ and get away from a sham Christianity which is nothing less than a paganized culture. Help us to recognize today as we kneel here that simply talking about Jesus and going to church can be so much humbug unless it comes from a heart that has been touched by the Spirit. God, touch our hearts today. Move upon our hearts. Convict us of our need. Break us today that we might be made again. Crush us that we might be crowned with the gift of immortality. Bless every person here today, Father. We would make a decision in this meeting that we will put our faith in Christ, the one true high priest who lives at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and that at last we will be with you in paradise with the thief. We thank you that if you could save a dying thief, you can save living thieves, adulterers, fornicators, hypocrites. We're all in that category. And so the story of the dying thief gives us hope because none of us are good enough. We rest our case today in the merits of our Lord Jesus Christ. Cover us with his blood. Fill us with his spirit. Write our names down in gold in the Lamb's book of life. We thank you, we bless you, we praise you that it is determined, dead and done in Jesus' name. Amen. And glory be to God.